It's certainly been an edifying service thus far, and I appreciate the prayer on my behalf. And I hope that what I have to say this evening is edifying, but most importantly, pleasing in the sight of God. Tonight, we're going to be continuing our chapter studies in the book of Matthew, and we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. And what I want to do this evening is read through, read through this portion of Scripture and then look back uh, at the things that we can glean from this portion of Scripture. If you would, please turn to Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 1, and it reads, When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and, and, excuse me, and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. So this evening I want to look back over this scripture, or uh, go through this scripture once again, because there were three things that stood out to me, and I want to study those things this evening. Those three things, the first being regret, next being sorrow, and then lastly being the importance of prophecy. So first this evening, I want to discuss regret. And we see one man in this portion of scripture this evening that had a lot of regret. Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 3, and it reads, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned, and that I have betrayed the innocent blood, and they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. So the, the regret of Judas was so great that it led to a sorrow in which he took his own life. And later this evening, we're going to study sorrow, but I want to focus on something about the regret of Judas. Now, Judas's regret comes after he saw that Jesus was condemned. It reads in the scripture, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself, himself being Judas. And now many speculate as to why this exact detail is the case. Uh, some seem to think or uh, propose that Judas did not expect Jesus to actually be condemned. And he took the 30 pieces of silver thinking that Jesus would free himself or be let free. But regardless of the exact reason... Judas, once he saw the fruit that his betrayal bore, he regretted his decision. He regretted his sin when he saw the fruit of it. However, the damage, as we see, was already done. 
Judas comes before the chief priests and elders, and he casts down the 30 pieces of silver, and he says, I have sinned, and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. But they respond with, and they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. Basically, they told him, look, Judas, it doesn't matter to us. We don't care. You go do something about it, if you're so worried about it. Because they already had Jesus, and they weren't about to return him to Judas for a refund. Now, brethren, have we ever regretted a sin or a decision like Judas? Have we ever willingly done something that we knew that was wrong, only to come to regret it later after we have to come to terms with the mess that it has made? Now, why do we do this? Why do we do this, brethren? Or why do I do this, at least? Why do we make the wrong decision knowing it is the wrong decision, knowing that the, that the decision doesn't result in anything good, and then we'll look back at it and think to ourselves, man, I really wish I hadn't have done that. I should not have done that. Well, I believe the scripture answers this question. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, beginning in verse 11 and it reads, Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner do evil an hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days which are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. I think that we, or that at least I, will willingly make the wrong decisions because the recompense, the judgment, the pain of my sin is not immediate. I think that sometimes I'll choose to indulge in my lust or desires like Judas because I think that nothing except pleasure will happen to me in the moment or the time that I do that. And you know what? I might be right. Maybe in that moment, there is no punishment. Maybe in that time, nothing bad does happen to me. Just like how Judas, whenever he originally accepted the 30 pieces of silver, nothing bad had happened then. Even whenever he had given up Jesus, right then, nothing bad had happened just yet. Now, this way of thinking reminds me of the sluggard in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, beginning in verse 9. And it reads, How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. So the sluggard here is like me. He's like Judas. He's aware of the consequences of his actions. He knows what he's doing is wrong. And the sluggard knows here that if he doesn't work, he'll have nothing but poverty and want. But you know what the sluggard reasons? He reasons that it's just a little bit of sleep. It's just a little bit of slumber. It's a little bit of the folding of the hands to sleep. And what's the worst that could happen? It's just a little indulgence, and if I indulge a little, why does it matter? If I sleep, my field will still be there. If I slumber, it's not like my trees can't grow by themselves. If I fold my hands to sleep, it's not like weeds will just instantly pop up out of the ground. And you know what? The sluggard, in a way, is right. Nothing is going to instantaneously happen to him or his fields if he slacks off. 
However, the sluggard like us does not just live in a single moment. Eventually, over time, these little indulgences begin to add up. Over time, those weeds he didn't pick out, they'll grow. Those things he didn't fix break even more. And the barren land he didn't plant is full of nothing but inedible vegetation. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 through 34. Proverbs chapter 24, beginning in verse 30, and it reads, I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction, yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. So here we see the fruits of the sluggard's indulgence. His field is destroyed, and he has nothing because of this. And do you think that the sluggard regretted his choices, his sin? We already know that Judas did regret his choice, his sin. Do you think that the sluggard looks back and thinks, man, I shouldn't have done that. And what I should have done is this, this, and this, because hindsight is twenty twenty, and I know exactly what I should have done. And if I would have done that, then my fields would have had fruit, and I wouldn't have been in poverty. And man, it would have been great if I had just done a couple of things. And the point I'm trying to make, brethren, is this. Are we doing things that we will regret? Just like Judas, are we making decisions that we are going to regret later down the line? Are we playing with fire, thinking we are not going to be burned? Are we doing things now that we can look back on and be happy about or satisfied with? Or are we going to look back at today with regret? Brethren, let's stop doing those things that bring us regret. Next this evening, I want to look at sorrow. And so after having regret for his actions... Judas was plunged into sorrow, so much sorrow, in fact, that as we know, he went and he hung himself right after he left the chief priests and the elders. Going back, then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Well, you know, brethren, Judas was right about one thing. He did deserve death. But brethren, we all deserve death. And sometimes we, at least I, do things that remind me of that very well, or that remind me of that fact very well. And sometimes I mess up so bad, sometimes I'm reminded about just how weak or foolish I am that I find myself in sorrow, and I'm thinking along the same lines as Judas. However, brethren, what does this type of sorrow solve? What does it solve? It solves nothing. Judas went and he hung himself. How does that help Jesus, or anyone else for that matter? How does that help Judas? He's able to escape his pain, but only for a moment. What does that type of sorrow help? What does it do? What should Judas have done? How should we be in sorrow? 2 Corinthians Chapter 7, verses 8 through 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 8, and it reads, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry. 
though it were for but a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So brethren, whenever we have sorrow, we must sorrow after a godly manner. Our sorrow should work towards our repentance to salvation. Our sorrow should be the fuel for our change, as is stated in verse 11. Continuing on in verse 11, and it reads, For behold, this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So those at Corinth, they used their sorrow to push them to clear themselves. They were sorrowful about their problems and they used that pain, that heaviness in their heart to spur them on, to sharpen themselves, to improve themselves, and to fix their problems. And when they had done so, then they could go on and they could be a better help to others. They could better love others. And I believe another great example of this godly sorrow is found in the sorrow of King David. In this psalm, Psalm 51, and we'll go ahead and read the entire psalm. This psalm is the one that was written after David had been confronted by the prophet Nathan about being with Bathsheba. Psalm 51, the 51st psalm, beginning in verse 1, and it reads, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than so snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. So David's sorrow was great. He had a broken and a contrite heart. Like Judas. However, unlike Judas, instead of taking his own life, David cries out to God for forgiveness. 
He cries out to God for forgiveness and for strength, and he is determined to better himself, to live better, and to live more for God. And now David still despises himself. He still has to live with the pain and the mistake of his sin, but he is determined to not give up and to do good, to live for God. And David grew from his godly sorrow, and Judas was crushed by his worldly sorrow. So brethren, this evening, whenever we're in sorrow, is our sorrow godly? Whenever we find ourselves in sorrow from the things that we have done, are we thinking about how we're going to grow and never make the same mistake again? Or are we just accepting our failures and having no desire to grow? I've been guilty of that before. And now this evening, I'm not saying that it's such a simple thing to grow, whether that be in strength, wisdom, faithfulness, etc. But we must have a willingness to grow, to change. And as Brother Steve spoke about this morning, to be transformed by the word. So lastly this evening, I want to briefly speak about the importance of prophecy. Matthew chapter 27, verses 6 through 10, beginning in verse 6, and it reads, And the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. So here we see the fulfillment of a prophecy. A prophecy made in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. Zechariah chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. Beginning in verse 11, and it reads, And it was broken in that day, and so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Now, brethren, why does this matter? What is the significance of this fulfillment of prophecy? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, and this is Jesus speaking, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. So the fulfillment of prophecy, brethren, matters because it shows a portion of how Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets. It helps to prove that Jesus is the Messiah because he fulfilled the prophecy, or the prophecy that we had just read, to the letter. And we know that the Messiah must do this, fulfill these prophecies to the letter, to the letter, excuse me, because there is no private interpretation of prophecy. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. And it reads, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, 
and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So in perfectly fulfilling prophecies, Jesus proves that he is the Messiah. He is the one spoken about in the Old Testament. He is the one that was prophesied about. And through Jesus proving that he is the Messiah, we know that he is our Savior. He is the one that can deliver us from our sins. So the importance of prophecy here in Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 10, is it shows that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. He is our Savior. That concludes the chapter study this evening. This evening we have not discussed the or studied the steps to salvation, but if you desire to be baptized or if you desire the prayers of the congregation, we ask that you come. Have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing the song that has been selected.